I'm Lisa Ganser. I'm Nomi Lamb. And, and this, this is success. So I'm Nomi. I'm a writer, singer, voice teacher, and creative coach, an ordained Kohenet Hebrew priestess, living my life in dedication to beauty and liberation. I'm a white, Jewish, disabled, super fatty, a non-binary femme, and the daughter of a mama named Melinda. And I'm also a Virgo with Cancer Moon and Leo Rising, and my birthday is tomorrow. September 1st. Happy birthday. Thanks. Again, I'm Lisa. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a white, disabled, genderqueer, non-binary person, woman, artist, filmmaker, activist. I'm a poverty scholar. I live here with Nomi on Squaxin, Chehalis, Nisqually land in Olympia, Washington. I'm a sidewalk chalker, a dog walker, an aging punk rocker, and the daughter of a mama named Sam. And Nomi and I are in a band together called Saplings. Yes. Shouting that out. (laughs) (laughs) And we're also in a relationship together. That's true. And we have um, two dogs, although we have a guest dog here today. We have Mama and Dandelion are our dogs. And then Poppy is visiting and you may hear them carousing. Yes. And we have a cat named Calendula. Mm -hmm. She's a teenager kitten. Yes. A (laughs) preteen. So this is our fourth episode of Yay. success. 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 We've made four episodes. <laughs> we have. Um, so we just wanted to give some updates on what's current and going on in our world right now. We just had a big yard sale. We how, did. Yeah. How was that for you, Lisa? I was a little stressed out about that. Yeah. In fact, I was thinking, you know how there's times when you don't really want to do something, but then someone you love wants to do it. So you like, because you love them, you do it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I call yard sale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I just snorted. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really hard for me to go through old things for some reason. And a lot of the old things hadn't even been looked at for a number of years. And anyway, I'm really grateful that we did it. It was yeah. like an all day date here at the yeah. house. Yeah, it was pretty fun, and we got exactly the amount of help that we needed, even yes, when thank you, friends. it looked like we maybe weren't going to get the help that we needed, but we did, mm-hmm. and um, and I actually spent like two weeks beforehand going through my mom's storage unit, because um, all of her stuff after she died got put into a storage unit, which I have to get out of that unit by the end of September, and so... Uh, we sold a lot of her doodads and knickknacks and mm-hmm. things like that. And also a lot of cool things that came up out of our basement from boxes of Lisa's, including some uh, a Santa Claus clip. <laughs> a clip on Santa Claus. And uh, creepy, strangely, creepy the, the Garfield and the Munchie Chi clips did not <laughs> get sold. <laughs> and they were very popular on the internet. Yeah, we ended up giving our Garfield clippy to um, Sarah Etter. Shout out, Sarah Etter. Hey, Sarah. Sorry, Vicky Conrad. <laughs> Sorry, Vicky. Vicky already, already has one. one. <laughs> she just wanted an extra one. <laughs> and we kept the Munchie Chi because um, they're just so cute. <laughs> yeah, I might gift out to someone soon. Do you remember... How- I want it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Do you, dear listener, remember Munchichi? This is a very generational thing I'm learning because people that are like even like five years younger than me don't remember Munchichi, but um, it was a very cute little guy that has a theme song. How's it go, Lisa? Munchichi, Munchichi. Oh, so, so soft, soft and cuddly. cuddly. It sucks its thumb wonderfully. <laughs> 
I don't remember the thumb sucking part, but everybody else did. So yeah, I, Shira remembers it. I gotta think that that's the truth. Oh my gosh! And you know what else happened? Tell me at the yard sale. Hmm. We're sitting around hanging out with our friends Shira and Lauren. Uh huh. And there's a bee sitting on my scarf, and Shira's like, "Are you okay with that?" And from what I can remember, it was a honeybee. Like I'm not really afraid of bees, even wasps. I'm just like. I'm going to ignore you and you should stay away from me. But I'm pretty sure this was like a honeybee. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally fine. I'm not worried about a honeybee sitting on my scarf. Then a second later, it zooms up and flies directly into my ear canal. Yeah. And people didn't totally believe me. Like Shira thought maybe it had just like landed on my ear and then flown away. But I thought it was in my ear. But and and people were looking and seeing that you could not see a bee in my ear from the outside. But it was inside my ear canal. It was very scary. I could feel it moving around in my ear. Yeah. <laughs> and I we just kind of sat there like we didn't really know what to do. I came around and clung to you and I was yeah. just like praying, I guess, because I was like, please get out of her ear. Please get out of her ear. Please get out of her ear. <laughs> and I was thinking quickly, like, oh, my gosh, you're going to have to go to the hospital. I'm yeah. like, how are we going to get there? I'm on house arrest. Like, I don't get to drive. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And yeah, like 30 seconds. I, mean, I could have probably dr- driven myself maybe. But, you know, so this happened to my sister when she was in high school that a moth flew into her ear and it went deep like it was beating its wings against her eardrum and they had to go to the hospital. And moths are like a little bit directionally impaired. Like, I don't know. They have a hard time moving their bodies in clear ways, it seems hmm. like. Um, but uh, bees are like they are meant for going into little holes and coming back out and yeah. stuff you know so it totally so it was in there for about 30 seconds and then it turned around inside my ear I could feel it turning around and then Lauren and Shira were on the side of me where they could see it walk out of my ear yeah, and, and flew away I saw it fly away <laughs> yeah. so I'm like yeah that happened That's yeah scary and yeah. weird yeah so I'm actually um feel very blessed by that bee um, especially if it was a honeybee, which I feel like it was. Um, they're just like such sweet pollinators. And I thought I was a flower and <laughs> went in there to gather my nectar. Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it's like gathering nectar from. And I've been having so many ear infections uh-huh. and stuff. And so I think it was it was being healing for me. It was also just a very intimate experience. Like someone was inside my body moving around, right. you know, <laughs> it's like. Anyway, so thanks, bees. I was wondering how that would play out if possibly now you wouldn't have any more ear problems. Yeah, that would be amazing. amazing. Thank you, bee. Thank you, bee. Yeah, and then also recently um, the Herbal Access Project hosted uh, a local co-op, also hosted it with HAP, Herbal Access Project, uh, a bomb-making yeah. B-A-L-M. <laughs> yeah. The bomb. A bomb making it workshop. Bomb. It was totally the bomb. And we got to go and our friend Jesse um, was the person that uh, facilitated that. Jesse Macelli. Yes. And they are a healer in our community. Yeah. And my hair cutter, one of my hair cutter persons. <laughs> anyway, that was a great time too. We yeah. got to go to that. That was really fun. And it was just cool. Like Lisa and I bo- both make oils and balms and salves and things like that. And it was just cool to see how another person did it. And we put just all this different stuff in it. What did it have? Add, um, cottonwood bud oil. And what was the other oil? 
There was rose. There was a little bit of rosemary. Um, there is rosemary, lots of rosemary and mugwort. Mugwort. And I can't remember everything else, but it was um, it smelled really good. And then yeah, beeswax. Yeah, of course. Beeswax. Did you say that already? No, I didn't. Uh-huh. There's a different kind of oil in it also that I can't remember. I'm looking at the paper that we got while we were there, and I don't see it. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it was an awesome uh, salves using infused herbal oils mm-hmm. workshop. Mm-hmm. We got to go to that together, which we don't usually go to things together because I'm on house arrest. I know I talk about that a lot. But because Lisa is doing um, some of their community service hours at the co-op, they get to go to co-op related things. Yes, co-op things. Is, yeah. yeah. And it was at the Grub Farmhouse. Yeah, and I've never been there Garden before. Raised Bounty. Is that what I believe so. For? Yeah. Um, yeah, which is just a really awesome local organization that came and built out our um, garden beds for us, our raised beds. And so it was there. Mm-hmm. And um, they had a cool sign on the wall that said... Um, all the right proportions for cooking beans and rice. <laughs> nice. Really helpful. I took a picture nice. with your phone. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, and we also went to a because of my internship with the uh, YWCA of Olympia. Uh, we were able to attend together a, a vigil, a memorial mm-hmm. um, for Yvonne McDonald, who is a person that was a community member here in Olympia, a black woman um, who recently died in a very horrible way. Yeah. And uh, we were able to come together with community because there was a call to action um, just to remember her and, uh, and honor her with her family because yeah. it was not being taken seriously by the police because um, it was obviously foul play. Like she was murdered in a racist hate crime basically um and her family was there and it was like almost all black people on the mic and like 400 people at the little park on the west side yeah Um, yeah at least between three and four hundred people i would say yeah i heard between four and five wow yeah and everyone brought flowers we were asked to bring flowers and we brought all these sunflowers from our garden and as we were approaching you could just see people from like all corners converging on the park carrying flowers and that was really beautiful yeah um it was nice to hear things about her and learn about her she was a sweet person very opinionated radical person yes like really passionate about labor rights and racial justice and apparently could just like talk your ear off and argue debate herself into you know making (laughs) anyone look like a fool (laughs) yeah she's powerful tiny person they said she weighed like 85 pounds or something and just powerful and the way the olympian which is the local press and our police department which is the olympia police department um are not treating this the way it should be and it's just it's anti-black racism just from the start and so i just want to send so much love to the black community of olympia the black community Mm -hmm. talana her niece and all her other family members so much love to you Mm -hmm. and uh yeah I mean, we're saying this on a podcast, uh, but seriously, I've already reached out and said if there's anything my family can do, um, we're holding uh, love, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm going to design a t-shirt. That's right. Yeah. Um, So I just want to say her name again is Yvonne McDonald. And Mm -hmm. if you want to know more about her case or what happened to her, there's some pretty graphic details. Um, 
and it's really horrible and it's the kind of thing that is hard to take in we we decided not to give specifics on the podcast but um it's also important for people to know and so look her up there's a justice page for her and there's a fundraiser for her family for Mm -hmm. funeral expenses yes you can find that on facebook yeah justice for yvonne mcdonald justice for yvonne mcdonald well the last few times that we've had podcasts i noticed that we would bring up the the racial justice summit that we were a part of Mm -hmm. and we didn't really ever talk about it very much so I thought today we could maybe talk about that. Yeah. Oh, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, you had that good idea. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll go along with that idea. Sounds good. Yeah, the Racial Justice Summit was put on by the YWCA of Olympia. Uh, the people of color on staff there did most of the work and mm-hmm. called in community members from Olympia that are black, indigenous, and people of color to come up with all of the um, programming. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it was a great opportunity Nomi and I attended last year and this year because you know like I say uh, I have an internship at the YWCA it was very obvious that I was going to be involved in some way Mm -hmm. and so I had the opportunity I was voluntold (laughs) (laughs) to be a part of um, a part of the programming Mm -hmm. and so Side note, I just want to mention, because I meant to say this at the beginning, and now it's obvious, but um, we are two white people talking about racism and whiteness, and that could be triggering. So trigger warning to people of color that are listening to this podcast, and for white people listening, like, please pay attention, and we would love to hear from you about work that you're doing around whiteness, and... um, Yeah, and so this was a second annual um, Racial Justice Summit. It was actually in June, so it was a few months ago, but um, still very relevant. And um, the theme was anti-racist accountability. Accountability, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have been uh, doing some organizing that is, um, well, we were called in by Full Circle United. So let's Mm -hmm. just go back a little ways. Let's set the stage. So Olympia. (laughs) I grew up in Olympia. It's... uh, smallish small city it's like 60,000 people it's not a suburb it's its own little thing it's the capital of Washington state and it's very white and it's I think I think is it 70 percent white something like that lily white lily white (laughs) (laughs) there are people of color here it's a minority of people of color awesome people of color really badass hard-working people of color and so a couple well three years ago was it that Andre and Bryson were shot Mm -hmm. by Ryan Donald which we talked about some in our last podcast um they're friends of ours they're young black men who um were shot by officer Ryan Donald and um survived they're alive they're living life and and their mom, Crystal Chapman, is one of my closest friends. We became friends immediately once I moved here. And she wrote a really awesome article mm-hmm. that is in the Bayview National Black Press. If you want to find out more, that's a great place to get started. Because as we know, the corporate press is, is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, follows the cop lies. Yeah. Um, but Crystal's article is in the Bayview, and I would check that out. Yeah. And, yeah. Also, I just want to make sure that we said, because we're saying Andre and Bryson so because they're like part of our family, they become our friends, and, and Crystal's a close friend of mine. Um, I just want to say it's Andre Thompson and Bryson Chaplin, the Chaplin Thompson family, and they've survived. 
And so when that happened, when they were shot, that brought a lot of things to the surface in Olympia, that it's not just this like peaceful white community where nothing bad happens and we're not racist, um, that actually it's, we're part of the fabric of this whole nation that's founded on genocide and slavery, and the same things are happening here. Right. And a number of organizations sprung up after the shooting of Andre and Bryson. Um, one of them is a local surge chapter. There's Olympia Surge, which is mostly white people organizing, anti-racist white people. And Surge is um, standing up for racial justice. Showing up. Showing up for <laughs> racial justice. Perfect. Um, and you can find out more about that online. And there was other groups that came into play. It was the, the church over here. Thurston County Black Alliance. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. And then also... Full Circle United. I mean, there's just like a lot of organizations that came out of that shooting. And mm -hmm. I just want to say as a white person that when we become activated after someone has been shot by, like there is a serious uh, traumas that happen that spark these. And so I appreciate the ways that different organizations or different people are still accountable to that particular family. Mm -hmm. I feel very passionate mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, for sure. So... A couple years, or last year sometime, there was going to be a Make America Great Again rally in Olympia, and white people were trying to strategize, how can we respond to this? And Full Circle United, um, led by black and indigenous women of color, um, was like, white people in this town do not have the capacity to respond to like the racist right um, without causing more harm to people of color, without putting people of color in danger. And so what could happen instead? And so they kind of called in a few people that they were like, let's work with these people. We have relationships with them enough to um, trust that they can take direction, yeah. <laughs> basically. Um, to try to create something else that would not be in opposition, but to to speak to like white liberals and white radicals who think they're not racist and be like, actually, we are racist. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of racism in this community and we need to be addressing it. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, they called some of us together. It was our friend Heather Penny, really, who I've talked about before on another episode, who is also a very close friend of mine. Um, uh, Heather Penny called us together and uh, white Under people. leadership of other people, too. Right, it wasn't right, just her idea. Right. Yeah. Uh, when we say that uh, that they called on some people that they trusted that they could call in that would follow direction, I just got to say that we didn't always follow direction well and we had to be called in even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a kind of a constant thing where we're like, I'll, you know, I'll just speak for myself. I'll be like, well, why don't we should do this? You know, and I'll have right. been given this yeah. really clear instruction. And then I'll be like, my brain will start going off into like, I'm the problem solver. And she's like, no, the instruction from people of color in this community and not just in Full Circle United, also from YWCA and also from community that the YWCA is connected to and pulls together to help shape the Racial Justice Summit have said we want so this is this is how we were involved with the racial justice summit was that we were asked to be on a panel about ways that we've fucked up as white people doing racial justice work. And I'm just going to back up a little tiny bit more because we were called in by First Full Circle United through Heather Penny to be in a group and we were called Make, Make Olympia, Olympia Less Racist, racist. <laughs> Molar M O L R. 
And really what it meant is that we were meeting and meeting and building and growing trust. Yeah. A group of us, a group of white people from Olympia. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then there you could go from there was yeah. that uh, they drew from this pool of us too, and some people weren't available and we happened to be available. <laughs> so honestly, that's how we came into being on the panel and yeah. facilitating a workshop. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's a really good point, the piece about building trust together. I mean, one of the main things that we talked about in, in starting to do um, heart-centered anti-racist work in Olympia was like, you know, white people get together to do work around racism and we don't even like ask each other how we're doing or like, how's your family? Like what's going on in your world? And, and using that as a way to become accountable to each other. And so we did some ritual together and we um, did some power mapping of like who and what organizations are, you know, in the city. But we mostly just like spent time together mm-hmm. and told stories about ways that we've tried and failed or, you know, ways that the work that we've tried to do is complicated. And so from that, exactly, we were called together to be on this panel. And the instruction was tell stories about times that you have made mistakes in your anti-racist organizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that process sucked and is good, important work, but it also, uh, I could feel it in my body, Mm. like feeling kind of shitty. (laughs) And it's a rewiring of our brains because when we tell stories, we, as white people, I will say, either want to tell stories about great things that we did and how triumphant it is, or we want to frame it around our feelings and be like and be told like oh no it's okay or you didn't know or you know but what this was was like sharing a story not going to every single detail just saying like this happened I did this this piece of it I really messed up on and just sitting with that and letting other people sit with that and not try to then be like but now I know the right thing or you know it's like exactly um there's a humbling that has to happen before we can well no not even that's me trying to make it into a prettier story again it's like white people are gonna fuck up yeah over and over and over again and we still have to do it (laughs) yeah and i like the process of like deciding which stories we would tell on the Mm -hmm. panel Mm -hmm. was made through this process of working with heather penny who would go back to the group and come back to us but it would be like i would say a thing that i did to mess up say another thing uh, some way that I was racist basically Mm -hmm. or that I enabled white supremacy however whichever way you want to say that some people like to soften up the language Mm -hmm. they say called in instead of called out I just like whatever it takes do that if you need to (laughs) but I was like Mm -hmm. so I was saying a lot of different stories and then it would be like oh that one tell that one I don't know it was a weird weird uh uncomfortable important work that we were doing to just name all these ways that we had made mistakes Mm -hmm. how we had you know been racist and then have some of them nuggets chosen as what we would tell yeah and then in no way tell yeah just owning our shit and sitting with it and not expecting cookies which Mm -hmm. is very hard for me very hard for white people Mm -hmm. um i see it in trying to work with other people especially white cis men in this town Mm -hmm. like just want to like bumble on about how great they are and it's like no we don't get to bumble on about how great we are well, and then on that note, mentioning white cis men, uh, the thing that happened after this panel 
was that we broke up into gendered groups. So while we were doing all this, people of color were having their own caucuses. White people were in our caucus where we had a panel and talked about ways that we fucked up. And then we broke up into, there was a cis women's group, a cis men's group, and then a trans and non-binary group, which Lisa and I were in. Mm -hmm. And that was like, the process of doing that was a little bit complicated because people were upset. White people were being like, that doesn't feel right to separate trans people from cis people. Like if a trans woman is a woman, she should be able to go to the woman's thing. Like why separate it out? And it was like, because people of color in this community have asked you to specifically look at the ways that racism plays out around being trans and non-binary. Right. And so, and that's one of the ways is wanting to center our gender experiences instead of race and be like, no, this takes precedence. And they're like, no, (laughs) race takes precedence right now. Like just focus on that. And so, and it's really cool. And now we're meeting ongoing with the trans and non-binary caucus um, in our house Mm -hmm. once a month and, and working on these white supremacy culture norms that, so that was another piece of it was really looking at, um, these norms that were laid out by Tema Okun in collaboration with many people of color mm-hmm. um, that are like, what are the norms of white supremacy culture? Right. Do you want to say some of them? To yeah. Um, you can hear my papers rustling here. So the white supremacy culture norms include um, there's only one right way to do things. Defensiveness. Mm-hmm. A sense of urgency, Mm -hmm. power hoarding, um, the right to be comfortable. Yeah, that is so Olympia. Mm -hmm. Paternalism, either or thinking, fear of open conflict, perfectionism, and individualism. Where's that reliance on the written word? Oh yeah, that's, that's not on this okay. list. That's so such I was a thing too. Yeah, here, especially yeah, like <laughs> raising up the written word. Yeah. So we've been looking. So throughout the um, racial justice summit, we were asked to keep a tally every time one of these things came up, like make a little tally mark. One of these things came up in ourselves. Like right. I'm noticing my own perfectionism right now. I'm noticing my own defensiveness right now. I'm noticing that I'm power hoarding right now. Like. That's really deep and knowing that like it's it's not like that means I'm this horrible racist. That means like, okay, white supremacy culture is showing up in me and through me right now. And I can notice that and choose other things or choose to give compassion to myself rather than focus on how urgent it is to do this thing. And then we have actually the YWCA came up with a list of anti-racist culture norms. So I'm going to read those too. So trust the collective experience of people of color. You are responsible for your anti-racist work. Learn from your mistakes. No one knows everything. Together we know a lot. Stay engaged. Safety versus comfort. Ask if yours is the story that needs to be told. No fixing, no throwing people away. Discomfort is where the growth is. Risk more than you did yesterday. And learn from what you don't experience. Yeah. 
So each of these things, our, our dog and cat are having a field day over there. But each of these um, norms or tenets are deep. Like we could go into each one of them. And, right. um, but so we're just, just kind of giving an overview right now. But what we're doing in our caucus that continues to meet is kind of look deeply. So that the last one we really looked at urgency and the ways that urgency can impact our actions when we're faced with something where it's like, oh my God, this thing has to happen. And how am I going to do that? And I'm going to like then tokenize a bunch of people <laughs> to try to make that thing happen. And sometimes really the answer is to not push for that thing to happen right away and see what can happen instead. And that was how Moeller came together was by being like, okay, we don't have the capacity in Olympia right now to do really effective organizing among white people around race so what are we going to do instead of try to jump to the end point and be like yeah we can totally have a, a standoff with the organized right yeah. <laughs> um that like no we need to do some internal capacity building as white people mm -hmm. um and that that requires not moving from a place of urgency it requires us to hold that like anxiety that feels like this is we have to do this right now and be like we're going to do the long game. <laughs> right. One of the themes for the day, too, was safety versus comfort. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to read. And also the, these papers that you might hear shuffling that we're referring to, um, this was something that Heather, Heather Penny said passionately to me a number of times, that if 50 people in Olympia had these pieces of paper and were using them to inform their decisions and their work uh, as social justice activists, so inevitably as an anti-racist white person, which is an oxymoron, I know, but if we were to, t if 50 people were to take those papers and to work with them for a year, and not just the paper, but the things, the themes that are on them, that that would make Olympia less racist. Mm -hmm. And so I am doing my best to be one of those people mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at these pieces of paper. And so we did talk about the, so one of those was uh, safety versus comfort, learning how to embrace open conflict tokenization in personal relationships and organizations, what unconditional allyship looks like, social politics of assimilation, effects of throwaway culture and purity politics, unpacking what it means and how to actually decenter whiteness. And um, anyway, that I, I'm just appreciating all of this material that's in front of us and it's, I'm grateful to share it in this way. And I feel like it could work in every city, not just ours, but mm -hmm. definitely looking at the ways that safety and comfort, the ways that as a non-binary white queer person that has a following or is an artist that's visible, like mm -hmm. uh, how I'm harmful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and I feel like something that you just mentioned in that is disposability and mm -hmm. throwing people away is like... Um, that there's such a culture of being like that person's fucked yeah, up and exactly. then everybody is like fuck that person that's happened to me we're not like that person <laughs> we're this other thing that's good and let yeah. nobody talk to that person because they're bad yeah and um people do that we do that yeah we do that all the time and yeah. that is a purity thing that's yeah. like actually that's just not real and right. we all fuck up mm -hmm. and i definitely have fucked up and there's people that I see who I'm like oh that person doesn't like me because I w did something really racist right and it hurt them mm -hmm. and I'm not a bad person mm -hmm. I have racism in me I 
yeah, I mean, I kind of am called to share some of my story of a way that I've fucked up Mm -hmm. and there, you know, maybe there's people listening who witnessed this. Um, But the story that I told, and I'll try to tell it as uh, condensed as possible, was that a few years ago, Lisa and I were involved in an action that was about challenging a white person in a neighborhood where she was calling the police on black people in her neighborhood. Um, And it was impacting somebody that we knew who asked white people to show up and call her out. She was like, come get your cousin. And so we were like, what could we actually do? Like, this is a thing that we hear sometimes. And this is a person we don't know. What could we do? So we went there, we gathered a bunch of white people, we went to that neighborhood, we chalked hearts around the neighborhood that said, let love protect this Mostly black white people. neighborhood. That's true. Not all white people. Yeah. Not all white people. <laughs> <laughs> That's one time we could use that. Um, and we made up a song. And the song is very like sing-songy, white person, music sounding song about thinking before you call the police on black people because it can get them killed. Mm -hmm. And so we sang that song outside this woman's house. Um, We read to her stories about people that had been killed by police because they had the police called on them just for being black. And it didn't go well. She did not like it. She yelled at us. She said, I'm, I'm great. And I love people of color and I give food to the homeless or whatever Mm -hmm. um and we also found out that she was impacting other neighbors not just the ones that we were there to support we left feeling like that was intense and um kind of weird and also like we did something and felt good about ourselves and I wanted to share um share that and so soon after that we were at no lose which is a really awesome um conference that I've been going to for a lot of years that's for radical fat queer people and it was and has been going through this transition from being an almost all white organization and conference to being run by people of color and centering fat queer people of color and so the first day of the of the event that we went to was the first day was all POC and then white people get to come after that and the first thing we had to do was go to a workshop about how to make an apology which was actually very useful Um, essentially apologize for what you did and don't make excuses that's how to make an apology Um, and then that night I had been asked to perform and I was like I don't want to perform I want to like sing with people so I'll do lead a sing-along and one of the songs I chose to lead was the song that was written for white people to sing to a white person about people of color being killed. It did not go well. <laughs> we Do you want to share your part about that? Yeah, I mean, we had a song, like we had printed out some of the lyric sheets. It's a very short song. And while in the context of the action that Nomi talked about, uh, that went well in Oakland. It wasn't the right place, but we didn't know that mm-hmm. <laughs> there at No Lose. And so I, I was kind of, Nomi was like, I was kind of your wingman or whatever. I was like help performing with you a little bit. 
and I was uh, assisting Nomi, and I was handing out these sheets, and I felt really uncomfortable, and I didn't know why at the time, but I know now. But it didn't feel right to hand them to people of color, especially black people. It did not feel right to hand those sheets to black people, yeah. telling black people something they already know about uh, anti-black racism and, f- and violence against black people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we didn't have enough to go around anyway. And I just remember feeling uncomfortable. And then we sang the song and... Uh, yeah. Apparently, and I don't know details, but apparently it was really traumatic for some people like they and I'll just say, like, this is what I can understand of it is that like, people of color had spent this whole day creating this really beautiful, safe bubble mm-hmm. um, to be empowered and beautiful and centered. And we came into it and we're like, la la la, here's a song about you getting killed. Yeah. Um. That was fucked. Yeah. And it really, if I had thought through it clearly beforehand and like thought through all those steps of like handing out these lyric sheets and then singing it along, like I wouldn't want to do that if it was a song about disabled people being killed or something like that just is not the appropriate place. I feel kind of ridiculous even explaining it because it probably seems so obvious we learned a lot right Mm -hmm. thank goodness for black indigenous and people of color because those are the people who told us Mm -hmm. what we did was fucked up Mm -hmm. we wouldn't even have known yeah we wouldn't have known yeah and there was this whole process about that where we thought we were going to make an apology in front of the whole group yeah and then we don't get that opportunity yeah it was like no you don't get to keep centering yourself and we were like this will be a great example we just learned how to make an apology we can do this and it's like no we had a it was a behind the scenes process and um and yeah I still it's like that's a community I've felt so invested in and so much love for and I feel like I really showed my ass there and there's people in that community that are like think I'm an asshole because I did that mm-hmm. and I did do that mm-hmm. and I still love the community yeah <laughs> yeah I love you I love you too and if you want to hear that song it's on YouTube and it's called listen white neighbor yeah um so that's an example of a way that I fucked up both of us we both <laughs> fucked up um teamed on that one and I feel like holding holding people when we fuck up is the thing yeah like, letting people make mistakes and then just not the best amends is to not make that same mistake again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I really think when I'm going into places now that are not mine, <laughs> like no place is mine anyway. Mm-hmm. We're all guests here everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. But even like we talked in a previous episode about your uh smicha. And mm-hmm. so when I showed up there, everyone had been there and s- and set up this intentional thing and then mm-hmm. I come bumbling in and I'm, I did not want to make an impact. I mm-hmm. literally thought about the no-lose thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I was like, I have my own needs and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, mm-hmm. uh, no, I'm like, I saw, I caught myself being mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to be in this room. No, you don't need to be in this room. And I saw mm-hmm. later why. It's like, mm-hmm. so I mean... I'm still a work in progress. Mm -hmm. I will always be. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think about that a lot Mm -hmm. going into places Mm -hmm. where it's like someone has done work to get to get to this point. Mm -hmm. And especially when it's people of color. Yeah. And to create a container and then we walk in. How are we honoring that container or centering our own needs? Right. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, so we're here on Squaxin, Nisqually, Chehalis land, and we're guests here, and we want to make Olympia less racist. We do. And so we're going to do our best to notice when what we do, how our actions play out is different from what we what kind of impact we want to have in the world mm-hmm. um, and hold that and learn from it and have these conversations between ourselves and with other white people um, and keep listening to people of color and keep doing our best to um, take instruction when there's clear direction <laughs> that we need to follow mm-hmm. um, and center the voices of people who are the most impacted. Um, I'll just say with Moeller, the Make Olympia Less Racist, like so much of what we were doing was just around how to center Crystal and Andre and Bryson's voices as their, we didn't share all the information about, but after they were shot, rather than the police officer being um, tried or convicted, Andre and Bryson were put on trial for mm-hmm. supposedly assaulting him. Mm-hmm. And um, and when the verdict was about to come out, there was going to be a big, uh, what would you call it? Action. An action of some sort downtown in response to it, whether it was positive or negative. It ended up being negative. Um, they were what's the word indicted mm-hmm. and um they were found guilty they were found guilty guilty in yeah. quotes yeah and so uh but crystal was like i don't want this action to happen because there's too much conflict and controversy around it and anything that happens is going to reflect negatively on their family there's people showing up with their faces covered ready to rumble with fascists that's going to reflect on them Mm -hmm. um and then you were on the phone with different people because we mm -hmm. were on the organizing team i'm in the Mm -hmm. background getting ready to leave town with them Mm -hmm. and uh and there was my white voice going in uh saying some stuff Mm -hmm. that was holding up this halt which is what crystal asked for and crystal again being one of my closest friends Mm -hmm. and uh Later in reflection, it was Heather Penny that pointed out to me when I was resisting that because I was actually taking into account all these other families that were coming to town that had been had lost their loved one to police mm-hmm. violence. So I knew that some of the Covarubias, like there were different, uh, and I'll say Daniel Covarubias's name. I'm just going to say it. In Daniel Covarubias. Daniel Covarubias was killed by a police in Lakewood, Washington, a few years ago. Um, but there were different families that were coming to our town, to Olympia, that we're going to take part in that action. And even some of those people were like, well, we're doing it anyway, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, um, that's another thing that happens as a white person. We are, if we're accountable to, to a lot of people, you know, there's mm-hmm. going to be, not everybody's going to want the same thing. But who's so, the most impacted? Exactly. <laughs> and I made the mistake. That was my mistake mm-hmm. of, uh, of trying to keep that going, even though Crystal said no. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I said later on it was Heather Penny that pointed out to me that my doing that my being in the background and yelling things into your ear while you were on the Mm -hmm. phone with other people was anti-black racism Mm -hmm. so I'll just say that and of trying to prioritize what we think should happen over the voice of our friend Crystal who's saying no exactly (laughs) and I am 
learned a lot from that. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from that. So the main thing we did, just to be clear, what Moeller did was stop an action from happening. And so sometimes that is the action that needs to happen. If it's going to be harmful to people of color to have something happen and and happen in a chaotic way, Mm -hmm. um, then... Yeah, sometimes that needs to not happen. I would actually say it was Crystal Chaplin that stopped the action from happening. Yeah. And we enabled it. You said Mueller stopped it. Okay. Yes. Thanks but, yeah. for correcting me. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, so that's the thing. Right. Um those so what what we just laid out were two examples of how we have enabled white supremacy or been racist in our work. Um and so having learned from those things, we will do our best to not be harmful and i love you crystal and uh mm-hmm. i love you <laughs> i love you too uh, and uh yeah so yeah it's not fun stuff and we are not the most impacted by racism so right. we have to keep doing this work at this conference or it wasn't a conference i keep calling it a conference uh at this summit i felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. discomfort Mm -hmm. I felt it feel does not feel good to sit Mm -hmm. with those things but you have to let those Mm -hmm. things move through and keep going we were not unsafe (laughs) we were not no we were totally safe and held completely and supported yeah um and uh I would say that uh I heard myself saying this and I stand by it but uh that I thought I have been uncomfortable in my work uh doing anti-racist work in the past I've thought oh this is what people you know white people got to get uncomfortable like I hear that a lot Mm -hmm. Um, I'll say that just only recently as participating in this that I felt truly uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because I feel it right now Mm -hmm. and this is the discomfort that we that we have Mm -hmm. to be in Mm -hmm. this is like a tiny drop of what people of color experience Um, and I'm just grateful for the opportunity I'm glad that we got to share it a little bit yeah I think this particular uh this, well, I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to jump, sorry. But there, there I'm going to read just a couple more things. On okay. Um, but there, there was like, what does anti-racist accountability mean to you? And this came from people of color in mm-hmm. Olympia. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to read a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, whiteness is rooted in racism. White people need to work on it daily for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Repairing the harm caused by white supremacy with direction from people of color. We have to do it with direction from people of color. White folks address your fear of people of color. Mm-hmm. We as white people have to address our fear of people of color. Understanding that your anti-racist work as a white person is different from mine as a POC. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading it from right. um, norms. Do not call the cops. Do not call the cops. That's on the list. How can you de-escalate your feelings so you don't have to call the cops? POC survival depends on white people understanding racism. So anyway, I'm going to read just a few of those, and maybe we'll keep these papers with us, and we'll share a couple uh, again. In future. Yeah, because I feel like we could talk for so long. And uh, I'm glad that we talked and went a little deeper about the summit, because, I mean, the work is ongoing, and whether you go to the summit or not, or if you just have a badge with a bunch of summits, but you're not actually doing the work. I mean, there's all different kinds of ways white people who claim to be anti-racist white people, how we are and how we show up. And I feel like uh, this, this was really 
a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you can't do the work if you didn't go. And yeah. it's not the end all be all. And it's yeah. a work in progress. And it's flawed. And it's awesome. And just like everything. And uh, I'm grateful that we're continuing on as a non-binary and trans uh, white people's group. Mm-hmm. And I just want to name that we really obviously focused on our white participation in the summit but mm-hmm. that the whole first half was um led and run I mean the whole thing was run by people of color mm-hmm. but like the whole first half of the day was all people of color speaking and so there was like a panel of local black folks there's like trans black women um a really young black woman who's like a middle schooler um and then Andre talking about their experiences and there was um poetry and a really just like amazing awesome program that happened before we broke up and did our part of it mm-hmm. so maybe we'll do this as a call and response this is something that came out of the summit and it's a white anti-racist accountability commitment and i am going to continue the work to to look at how am i accountable who am i accountable to um we got to be accountable to each other yeah and um to continue this work rooted in accountability. Mm-hmm. That's what that's really about. And so we'll do it as a call and response. And if you're a white person listening, you can participate. Yes. Okay. I have been raised in white supremacy culture. I have been raised in white supremacy culture. And despite my best intentions. And despite my best intentions. I perpetuate white supremacy culture. I perpetuate white supremacy culture. My work is to become deeply anti-racist. My work is to become deeply anti-racist. To see my liberation bound to the liberation of people of color. To see my liberation bound to the liberation of people of color. To work from a place of humility. To work from a place of humility. And embodied action. And embodied action. To know anti-racist practice. To know anti-racist practice. Rehumanizes what humanity I have lost. Rehumanizes what humanity I have lost. To white supremacy. To white supremacy. I am accountable to people of color. I am accountable to people of color. Through this lifelong process. Through this lifelong process. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. For bringing more white folks into this work. For bringing more white folks into this work. Rather than throwing them away rather than throwing them away. I could feel that through my body. Me too. I have a lot of work to do. Me too. We have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Well, should we take it out with some gratitudes? Yeah, let's do some gratitudes and also just say um, success. We get to participate in this work and it's, and we're talking about our um, ways that we fuck up and um it's a success to get to be able to participate in this yes success um i am i am grateful for my friend malika lamont malika Mm -hmm. is a uh is a harm reductionist i guess Mm -hmm. i'll say a lot of things an awesome person and makes really good pot roast in a slow cooker (laughs) anyway (laughs) um but malika my friend malika is gonna bring me tonight and we are going to go to my very first time going to an overdose awareness day uh activity Mm -hmm. and we're going to a walk together Mm -hmm. uh 
and I get to go as a part of my internship with the YWCA of Olympia, and I will be holding my mom in my heart who died of an overdose, and uh, her last day on the planet here with us was October 7th of 2017, so it has not even been a year since she was gone, mm -hmm. and I will say that I am feeling it in my yeah, body and yeah. so I'm pretty sure I'll be an emotional person mm -hmm. but I'm grateful that Malika is my friend and is going to take me to that I'm grateful for that too mm, I'm grateful that I will have 43 years on this planet Yay. tomorrow birthday. September 1st is my birthday and I'm going to have um, our friends Shira and Lauren and Caitlin and Aaron over and, and me well, you live here. So yes, Lisa will also be here. Um, and we're going to have a little party with the cake and some food. And we're going to make miso, which I've been wanting to do for years. And I'd heard that it takes a year to for it to ferment. Although when I'm looking online, you can do it a lot shorter than that. But I'm going to do a year because I've always wanted to do it as a birthday thing. Because then you remember the exact date. And then you get it as a birthday present at the end. So um I'm grateful to know, be learning how to ferment miso and grateful to have our home feeling really nice right now because we cleared out all that stuff for the yard sale and got to just bring in this new piece of furniture that was my mom's. And um, I have this, we have a sunroom where I do all my medicine making and um, it has this really beautiful display case in it now that's from my mom. And, um, yeah, I'm really grateful that we collaborate and that we do this together. Me too. Uh, I'm not, I'm a little bit in the depressed, uh, bracket. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm grateful that we pushed through and did it anyway. Me so too. thank you. I'm also grateful that we're in a band together mm -hmm. and we're called saplings. Yeah. So I was going to make a request as we go out because mm -hmm. it's a song that celebrates our love for each other. Great. But maybe we could play the song like roots, like fruit by the band Saplings. Let's do that. All right. Love you. Love you. Take care. Bye. I love you so much. I want to draw you cute medicine and I really love how you like crows, I think you have the cutest nose. When you dance, I like to watch you, let me help you shave your crotch. I love how you hold out your arm for me when we walk down a hill and be like totally wow when we see a bald eagle. You are so kind and so fair, you'd even take on a double dare. When my dog died, you were there. It's like breathing to care for you. I love you. Like mushrooms, like roots, like fruit. I love you like rain, like trees, like soup. Talk about the fucked up 
police state and put captions on our porno while I lay in bed and masturbate. When you stand with your hands upon your hips, a smooth shade of red upon your lips. I love you so much I want to kiss your soft belly and bury my face in your armpit when you tell me that it's smelly. I love that you're a matriarch and also a patriarch and out to smash the patriarchy. I love how you catalyst creativeness and shine your light on queer collective genius. You get so happy when it rains. I love how your hand meets the curve of your cane. I love you. Like mushrooms, like roots, like fruits. I love you like, like rain, rain, like trees, like soup. I love the soup of fancy salads that you make. I love it when you know that you need to take a break. I love how the stuff you say makes me think. I love how your lips meet the glass when you take a drink. I love you squishy, gooey, cozy, fuzzy, lovey, sweet and savory, like parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Time, see what's become of me. You gift me pints and ladybugs. I heart the songs and double hug. I brew you coffee in a mug. I think of you when I give it a tug. I love you like warmth and touch and home. I love you like broth made from the bone. I love the softness of your smile. I think I'll stick around a while. I love you in 50-point all-caps bold-faced of your favorite font. You give me everything I could ever need, want, and more. It's you that I...